Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 300 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from Austin, Texas. I'm joined, I am joined by a co-host today. It's been on with me many times on the podcast, although it's been almost two years since he's been on. James Dodds, fellow coach at Rogue Running, joins me. James, how are you? I'm doing really well. You know me, I not only love the holidays and extra time with friends, but we're about to turn the corner on 2023 and I love a fresh start, a clean slate. I get pumped about New Year's goals, all that. So I ride the energy as long as it lasts. So I'm excited. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to have you on. This kind of came impromptu. We were recording for our podcast training group, which opens up next week. And I said, hey, you want to join me for this episode? I've got nine reflections for 2022 as we wrap up the year and you want to just be my foil. So you're coming in cold. You don't know any of these nine reflections, but you just get to banter with me about them while I'll be sharing some of my coaching, athlete, and life reflections on 2022 that I hope everybody can take some lessons from both tactically in terms of training, but also just navigating this world. Before we get there though, a couple things. One, this is episode 300. So that's pretty exciting. Been doing this now since December, 2016. So six years of podcasting at this point and hitting a, a pretty big milestone. So that's pretty cool to get to 300 episodes. It's good to have you on with that. So that's number one. Number two, we are opening our podcast training group next week on January 3rd for season 11 of that group. It's a group that we started in 2017 and has been going now for five years. We're on to our 11th season. You're my co-coach for that. We've got the group will be training for spring races, really any race from April to June. You could jump in with us. For that, starting next week, we've got speed track, half track, full track. So it doesn't really matter what distance you're going to chase. We can get you covered. And so if you've been thinking about it on the fence, wondering about training with a virtual group, I think this is the time to get off the fence and jump in. So go check it out. You can go to our website, roguerunning.com, click on train, then go to virtual group training. It'll be the middle option there. We'll be opening that up on January 3rd. Any any comments, James, on uh, selling people to come join us with the Rogue Renegades, as we call that group? I want to respond to both your comments, but we'll start with that one first. Yeah, if you want to get a flavor, like this is a great time to start because you can get a flavor of how rich that community is by listening to that first week episode. We gave out our team awards, and this was an idea from the team um, who they thought like, Hey, we'd like to just honor some of our teammates. Um, cause they share their stories every single week. We, we interview the athletes so they get to know their teammates and then we give all the quality workouts, but this is a way by which to get to know who these people are that you see names on Strava, you see names on final surge, you see names on message boards as they ask their questions or give advice on an injury or what shoe to buy, et cetera. So we had the team nominate athletes and then vote. And then um, the the teammate that kind of embodied that rogue spirit, rogue community award came on and and get you know announced the others. Um, and you'll hear some names that you're like, I don't know these people yet because I'm not in the group. But you'll you'll start to wish 
by the end of the episode that you did know these people and that they were involved in your life. So um, it's a pretty cool group. It's even inspired me both as an athlete and a coach. It's helped me get better as a coach. None of this is actually a sales pitch. This is just honest off the cuff thoughts that if we bumped into each other at a bar and you said, what do you mean a running podcast? Like, what do y'all even talk about? That's probably the answer I would have given. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool group. Very, very palpable community culture, supportive community culture, even though it's virtual. Although we do get to meet occasionally traveling to races, which is always fun to see people in person. So if you've ever wanted a group and you haven't quite maybe found one in person, there is a virtual one out there. And I would encourage you to check out the Renegades. 60 bucks a month, you get the framework for your schedule tailored to your race weekend, tailored to your race race distance. We help you also fill in the other gaps to individualize the schedule for your purposes, depending on what your starting point is. You get a weekly podcast with James and I explaining everything along the way and also typically getting introduced to a teammate as we like to have teammates on each of those weekly podcasts to tell their story as well as get their questions answered individually. You also have access to our virtual platform. We use a platform called Circle as our virtual message board to connect with each other and to get questions answered so that you can, if you have questions, get our thoughts as well as get the team's, team's thoughts. So you get all of that. And it's just an incredibly powerful community experience. So if you're looking for coaching and you're looking for a team, go check out the Renegades. You will not be disappointed. So got to mention that you said you had two thoughts, thoughts on the 300th episode. I, I also wanted to congratulate you on that. Cause I think it's, it's a cool example of just like the running itself. You show up mile after mile, day after day. Sometimes you feel like a zombie and you're like, well, that workout didn't go well. But when you look at a body of work, we know as athletes and as coaches, you know, three, five years of putting in the effort, you start to see some cool results that sometimes surprise you and you didn't even anticipate. And I think like you probably had an original idea when you started this, uh, probably didn't know how long you would do it, but now it's like episode 300 and people reference these topics and a cool story to drive this point home is our team. A lot of people raced in Indianapolis this year. And so I hop on the plane, I'm stuck in a middle seat. Oh my gosh. Like that's the worst. But this woman in the aisle looked kind and, um, she had running shoes on. So I was like, this is probably a runner. We could probably talk about something interesting. So I sat beside her. turns out she knew college roommates of uh, like she was college roommates with a, a girl I dated in college. We started putting stories together and sh sharing that I'm a running coach and she trains virtually. And she says, yeah, I also follow this podcast. It's called running rogue podcast. And I was like, I coach with rogue. And so we're just like laughing and joking and uh, like buzzing off the whole like common traits. And she's like, yes, you know, coming into this race, there were things that I didn't do that I know I should have done, but I'm trying to keep the right perspective. And I've been listening to, uh, this guy, Chris McClung. And at that point I had already told her, this is my friend. We coached this virtual group together. And she's like, yeah, his podcast on reframing success. I've just been holding on to that and thinking about that and letting that guide me as I go into this weekend. And I was just like, that's pretty cool. I just want to congratulate you on that. I know you don't do it for the accolades. You actually want to help athletes and you're just hoping that uh, you just want to take all the knowledge that you've accumulated over the years and share it with athletes so that they get better. They get called into 
a belief that they may not have on their own. I've heard you say that. And you also like to call them into that. And then you also like to give them the resources and equip them with both the knowledge, the science, the information, the workouts they need in order to achieve those goals. And it was just kind of a cool moment as a regular dude sitting on a plane by a random stranger to hear her quoting, you know, one of my best friends in life about and, and mentioning how inspired she is uh, going into her race because, of that. and of course, I was like, well, I'm going to introduce them to you and you're coming to our team party. <laughs> and she got to meet you. And I know that helped make her weekend and she was super excited. So, you know, just kudos on three years of the, uh, I'm sorry, 300 episodes. That's probably six years because six, six times years. five is 30. Yeah. yeah. So it's like six years of the grind. Um, and I'm sure at times you probably thought, what am I going to talk about next week or what more needs to be said on the, the subject of running, but there's always something more to explore. So way to keep finding what that is. <laughs> it is kind of crazy to, to, to have done this for so long. You think you've covered everything, but then something new and fresh pops in your mind. But yeah, shout out to Brooke from Houston, who was on your flight to Indy. She also crushed her race. But to me, that's the coolest part is getting to have impact in people's lives that I don't even know that I've never met often that I don't even know the impact. I mean, I got an email today from somebody who lives in the UK who wants to potentially work with us in a virtual one-on-one -on -one environment who found us through the podcast. So it's, you know, the ability to reach beyond Austin, beyond Dallas, beyond the rogue physical presence to people all over the U S and all over the world is, you know, we, have a renegade who lives in Australia. We've got a bunch in Europe. I've got people that email me from all over the place who tell me that they've learned something and I've been able to impact their running journey through this platform. And, and it's really, really cool because yeah, as you said, I mean, it's probably hard for, maybe it's not hard, but might be hard for people to, know who don't know me personally how pure my intentions are with which i want to help people through this sport and so to be able to do that and to have this platform to do that it's very very cool very very fulfilling and yes at times you know it's work and cranking out episodes week after week is you know it's a labor of love but um but very well worth it so yeah. Thanks for joining me for 300. I think it's appropriate. You've probably been on this podcast with me, you know, as a guest host more than any other guest host. So I think it's appropriate. Well, it's funny you said it's been two years because I was like, no way. But I, because we record every single week and we've been doing that for <laughs> yeah. three years. So that's 150 yeah. ish. And so I was like, I was like, oh yeah, but that's the training. So, <laughs> yeah. Never mind. <laughs> For the Renegade podcast, we record every week. But the last time you were on this podcast was the beginning of 2021. So almost two years ago, episode 216. So for those I want to go back. But anyway, but yeah, it's cool to be at this milestone. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to everybody who shared with me the impact that it's had. I appreciate it for sure. Last thing before we jump into my reflections on 2022, got to quickly give a shout out to my sponsor for this episode, Athletic Greens. They've been a, a partner of mine since the summer, something I'm taking daily. And I'll actually talk about 
lessons from that in one of my reflections. And then obviously I'll share an offer code for those that want to check it out in the middle of the episode. But let's jump in. Reflections on 2022. These come from my personal training journey. These come from coaching. These come from life and things that I've processed from that perspective this year. You don't know the list, so you're going to just react and help me process these things and share. And hopefully there's lessons in here for all of us. Number one, this one I've learned both from an athlete and from a coaching perspective is that it's never a bad time to reset on the basics. Never a bad time to reset on the basics. Learned this as an athlete from somebody who's been doing this for 20 plus years, who's still trying to chase PRs and find those incremental seconds and hopefully minutes in the marathon, particularly that I've had to in many ways go back to the basics from a from a, an athlete perspective to try to get to that next level in my running journey. And I'll talk about more with of that with some of the other reflections. And then also as a coach, I've been probably as much as ever reminded that, you know, when you're not sure, when you have a unique situation or challenge in the sport, if you just go back to the fundamentals, then likely you will find the the thing that's going to help you advance an athlete towards their goal. And so I've got, from, from that perspective, I've got to give a shout out to an athlete that I work with. In the UK, Stuart, he is actually a high rocks athlete. And high rocks, for those that don't know, is this combo sport where you do strength and running. Do eight strength. Sorry, eight is it eight or ten? Eight or ten. I'm I'm blanking in my head all of a sudden. So you're doing strength, I think it's eight strength and eight 1K repeats in an event that's timed. And so you've got to go back and forth between running and strength and have the ability to endure both things and you're doing it for time. And so I've been working with Stuart on the running side of his sport as somebody who's aspiring at a very high level. And, and a lot of it is unique in terms of the challenges that he faces in his sport versus what a marathoner, half marathoner, or 5K or 10K athlete might face in my more traditional coaching experiences. And so being able to go back to the fundamentals, apply the basics with him at sometimes a very, sometimes a very simplistic level as we started working together earlier this year has been really powerful because I've had to basically dismantle everything I thought I knew, you know, that I can can sometimes be. I'm always thinking about each individual uniquely, but sometimes you can get programmatic or, or very process oriented. You know, this is what I apply to a marathon. This is what I apply to a half marathon. You have your rules of thumb that can be easily applied having so much experience with those types of athletes, but to take it to a new sport, essentially a new format and apply it to an athlete I've never worked with. But in those moments realize, Hey, it's just, it's the same rules, same fundamental elements, just got to apply it, deconstruct them, apply it to a new situation based on what that event requires. It's been a good reminder that 
if you just get back to the basics, then you're going to find your path. And so we've been able to work together successfully now for about nine months and, and he's making great progress. Finished on the age group podium at world champs, won his age group at an event this fall and has absolutely crushed his running improvement. So anyway, it's been really cool to see, but totally different application, same fundamentals. So anyway, that's lesson number one for me is when in doubt, get back to the basics. I like that. The first thing that popped into my mind was that's usually I would go to a similar mantra or thought like that when I'm kind of down and out or I'm in a hole and I need to get myself back on track. It's like, dude, kickstart the process. Uh, go back to those basics. You know, I often, I, I follow the, um, the Jack Daniel school of thought. And so frequency, volume, intensity. And then what I added to that was like, that's, I, I build them in that order. And so when I know I'm not on my top, I try to just reestablish frequency. Like how do I get out there and be consistent again? And don't judge my runs. Don't think about the pace, just check in on my heart rate, go back to those sort of fundamental thoughts. And so that was the first thing that came to mind for me, but I'm curious because my mind went there. I usually think of it in like personal spaces of, man, I'm not on track. Uh, did you have any moments in the year personally where you had to revisit the basics or was it more just in the sense of coaching where you had a curveball athlete that's outside the norm and you had to rethink the fundamentals? No, it's both for sure. I mean, on, on the coaching side, it's certainly, you know, focus on consistency, make sure we're balancing the easy work with the hard work that our slower efforts are really, really easy so that we can build the aerobic foundation to then start to layer in the faster work in a patient way. So all that stuff from a coaching perspective applied and, and, but then from an athlete perspective, you know, this has been an interesting year for me. I talked about it back in episode 260 at the beginning of this year, where I was talking about my process goals for 2022. And in that episode, a lot of what I talked about was revisiting some of the fundamentals of reestablishing my speed, layering and strengthening in, in a new and unique way, making sure I maintain consistency to maintain connection with my aerobic foundation. I talked about all those things and that was really the emphasis of the year for me was to kind of get back to the, the basics, really deconstructing myself as an athlete so that I could be build back up to a faster version. And I still, I want to break two hours and 40 minutes in the marathon. That's been a goal as long as I've been in this sport for whatever reason. But I knew after having done that, done what I've been doing and, and accomplished a lot of great things in the sport, still five minutes away from that goal. I knew that in order to do that, I had to kind of go back to the beginning, become a, a rookie again, in a sense, deconstruct myself so that I could reconstruct to somebody who could go for more than just incremental gains again. And I'm very much in the process of that. Don't have outcomes yet. I'm actually far away from those outcomes because I've had to take steps away from that edge in order to actually rebuild things. And so, you know, what I've learned as a part of that is, yeah, you can't get away from, you can't get too far away from speed, which I've never done, but now, you know, I've been really dedicating this whole year to staying connected to, or getting reconnected 
in a different way and in a new way to the top end speeds that I can achieve, which I've been able to actually put together some great workouts, had, you know, at least one great 5k result that shows that I'm staying connected to that Been adding strength in a more programmatic way than I ever have working with a trainer who's advising me on that, who I think is thinking about it exactly the way I've thought about it myself as a coach and I advise others on, but he's getting me, giving me the, the, the program and the subscription. So I don't have to worry about it too much myself, but reapplying those basics of strength, which starts with mobility first, making sure you can do the movements correctly. And then very gradually, very patiently adding load. You know, that's been a foundational piece that has taken longer than I thought to really have impact, but it started, I'm starting to see some of those gains from now being doing that consistently for over six months. So that's another piece along the way, making sure that the consistency is still there. That even though I haven't necessarily hit the volume levels I had in the past, because I've had to dial back a little bit on volume in order to add these other elements without hurting myself. So the consistency is there. So I feel like even though the full on sharpness isn't there, I'm not that far away from what I what I can do, my potential, because I've maintained that consistent volume year round. I'll hit almost 2,500 miles this year, which, you know, isn't close to my peak ever, but man, if you can bang out 50 mile weeks for a year, that's pretty damn good. Right. In terms of maintaining that connection with your aerobic foundation. So all those pieces, and I'll talk about it as we get to other lessons, you know, are coming together in this process to kind of rebuild myself back into an athlete that can then take, take big swings again. And it's frustrating at times because sometimes you feel like you're, you're so far away from where you want to go, but I know I'm doing all the right, all the right things. All the elements are correct in, in this process. Great first principle. You have a strong foundation taking you into 2023. 2,500 is no joke. <laughs> that's, that's right. So there you go. When in doubt, get back to the basics. Consistent, easy running is the foundation for almost every breakthrough in this sport. And then, of course, some of the other things we mentioned as well. All right, number two, kind of relatedly, at least in the context of you know, what I was just talking about in my journey this year, is patience. Patience is so important to long-term development. And I think it's an under-talked about strength or characteristic in the context of running development. You know, we talk about this all the time as coaches about athletes are always wanting to get ahead of themselves. They want the thing that they want yesterday or within one cycle and or two cycles instead of thinking about it in a, in, the, in a process of years. But as somebody who's had to go back to the basics this year and live in a space where I haven't been on the edge chasing PRs, but, but 
have been very much embedded in the idea of knowing all the things I'm doing are right and that the long-term trajectory is there and that if I stay patient and keep focusing on these fundamentals that they will come, that that result will come. Living that as a, as a runner, coaching that in athletes and getting them to understand that long-term process is just a reminder that you can't ever be too patient in this sport. And, and I think the question I would ask people who are impatient is why are you in such a hurry? Where, where, you know, why the hurry? One, because it's all a journey and if you don't rush it, I, I promise you, you can end up enjoying it more. But also, as we know, as coaches, the more patient we are, the more we build those blocks one at a time, focusing on those fundamentals that we just talked about, the higher ultimately your potential can be. And by the way, the longer you'll be able to stay in this sport and do it in a healthy way. So patience, so important. That one's just a straight up good one for me to hear. Um, and those do really go hand in hand when you were talking about like keeping all these fundamentals in place so that you know when the time comes you're set up for that 240, even though you know you can't grasp it right now, but keeping all those elements in place. I think in the absence of patience, um, you know, when we we set out to train for a marathon, it's going to take four or five months. Um so you sign up for a group, you pay your coach, you get really excited, you nail three or four workouts, et cetera. And then you don't see any results yet. I think one of two things start to happen, which neither is good. It's one, you quit because you were impatient and you felt like things weren't happening yet. And so you just quit on your goal, which actually leaves you in a psychologically like damaged place. Because um, once you have a goal and you hide from it, and you remove the accountability, um, even if you get that temporary relief of like, well, I don't have to worry about today. We're all humans. And so, because I know me, then I know you. It's like, I know that it's part of the human experience that if you wanted something and you said you were going to go after it and you didn't, that will eat at you. And so, you're not going to be happy even if you get temporary relief. Then the other result is you start overdoing things. Some respond, well, how do I double down? And as experienced coaches, we both know like that's one of the most, like the key to this endurance sports is staying in it for the long haul, um, being consistent, um, ensuring that aerobic foundation is always there, which requires like 80%, if not and for some of you, 90% of your miles being at that, you know, easy pace um, so that you can handle that full mileage load before you start increasing the qualities and making them take up a bigger portion of that percentage breakout. Um, but when people start doubling down and overdoing it, it comes from a good place of like, man, I really want a result. I really want intention. I mean, uh, 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 I want to see the result from what I'm doing. Um, so I have a good intention, but then you start doing too much too soon. And it's like, it's sad because now you're injured. So you actually can't get out the door. And then if the injury is not painful enough, um, already that's when that psychological layer starts to eat at you again. So I don't think patience can be preached enough. Yeah. And then when you think about 
you know, race outcomes, you know, I think about people that don't get the races that they want for whatever reason. I've had a bunch of those this year myself, or you have bad weather and that prevents you from doing what you want. Again, if you're not in it for the long term, if you're not patient, knowing that there'll be another race around the corner where maybe things will be different, then you're not going to give yourself that next opportunity. And, you know, we were just talking to Karen, one of our podcast made me think of Karen too. (laughs) Yeah. This, this, this morning who won one of our awards for that group our our actually group spirit award. And, you know, she had big goal going into Chicago last year. Didn't get it because of terrible weather on the day. Heat, humidity, wind, extremely disappointed came back, kept working, worked other things, went and did a speed track and worked on the faster end of the range and then came back to the marathon for Chicago this year, crushed it, got her first Boston qualifier a year after a terrible race there. And and one of the hallmarks of that result is just being patient with it, knowing that she didn't have to do anything crazy, didn't have to change a bunch of variables, just had to keep showing up, keep doing the work. And the result would come and it did, which makes me so happy for Karen. But that theme is true for others I coach as well, where you're not necessarily going to get the thing you want when you want it. It might take a little bit more time. And as long as you're learning from those results along the way and then continuing to invest in the process, you're going to get there. You're going to get there. So... Yeah. And the the backdrop to that even is just that it was patience upon patience. It's like she was already a runner before joining the Renegades. Then she joins the Renegades. She's a seasoned vet on the team. She didn't do anything wrong in 2021. She put together a year that most people, even listening, may not want to try to tackle, both from a mileage and an intensity perspective, and then didn't get that result in 2021. So to show up yet again, and I'm only emphasizing this because there are probably some people out there, you might be a decade, couple decade long runner who in the last 18 months, you've really upped the ante, you've paid for training, you're giving it your all. And for some reason, your 2022 race might've been Indy with the wind and that set you back. I don't know. I don't know uh, everyone's stories, but like the call again is be patient, never lose the hope, never, uh, 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 never lose the hope and never give up on that goal. And like point one, go back to your fundamentals, deep breath. And then point two, remain patient. Keep working. All right, let's get to number three. This one is more tactical from a training perspective. And I alluded to it already in my own journey around adding strength. And and when I'm talking about strength, I'm not talking about body weight. I'm talking about using heavier weights in your program. You know, it's, I think strength is important for every runner doing that weekly, a couple of times a week is an important part of the process. I'd been doing it more or less from a body weight perspective pretty consistently, but I hadn't added more load to the equation. So that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about strength, but whether you're starting from adding body weight or whether you're starting to up the ante a little bit by adding weight to the equation, strength takes time to integrate into your program and to see results. I know that 
as a coach, I've coached people to that. And as an athlete, I've been living it in spades this year in a sense that I feel I feel like having incorporated this in a more systematic way starting in about June of this year. I've been doing it for six months with us guidance from a trainer i feel like i'm still you know and it's it's working it's it's integrated into my routine i'm at a point where my body can handle it and it has been able to handle it but i feel like the benefits from this work are probably still another six months away so it's going to probably take me about 12 months maybe even a little bit longer than that to really start to see the fruits of this work in terms of race results and times and workouts and things like that. I've, I'm feeling the benefits, believe me, in other ways, in terms of feeling more resilient, just stronger. My body feels good, feels healthy in a way that it hasn't in perhaps a while. So, you know, so there are those ancillary pieces that I'm already feeling, but in terms of running results, translating truly to workouts, I still think I'm another six months away. So 12 month process, maybe longer, of integrating this systematically into my routine in a different way. And I'm still waiting, you know, I'm still waiting for those results. And so I think that's one thing to remind people of, and this kind of gets back to the patient's point, but when you're adding a new piece strength in this case for me, but it could be more volume for somebody else could be adding strides, you know, in a systematic way, consistently in your routine, whatever it may be, whatever that new element is for you, you might see results in a shorter term window, but more than likely it's going to take more time. And so the lesson I think in all of that is obviously the mindset of not rushing the results from it, but also giving yourself the space to incorporate it in a way that isn't going to that isn't going to compromise other elements. So, so for me, this year has been about deconstructing, reconstructing without any specific outcome goals. I've had races that I've wanted to do, but knowing that I was rebuilding a lot of these elements, I specifically didn't set any specific outcome outcome goals this year. Going into individual races, I had specific plans based on where I thought I was. And obviously I executed towards those plans and I had some results that I'm proud of. I had some results that I, that I, that I was disappointed by, but I didn't have any specific outcome goals and letting go of those outcome goals for a moment has been an important part of being patient this year, allowing some of these things to, to, with, their own time fully integrate into my routine in a way that will again pay off down the road. But oftentimes we want both. We want to make the shift, add the new piece and expect outcomes right away. It doesn't always work that way. And I think particularly with strength as just one example, oftentimes it takes a little bit longer of routinely integrating that piece before it really starts to manifest. And I would say as an athlete, it's taking even longer than I thought. And I might have thought from a coaching perspective if I were coaching me this year. And so I've had to just embrace that 
And again, be patient with it. But I think that's just a reminder for all of you who might be adding pieces. Make sure you give them the time that they need to fully have impact. Yeah, another thing that comes to mind on the strength chaining piece is when you're talking specifically to runners and distance runners and people who are putting in high mileage, like 40, 60, 80 mile weeks and live that year round as a lifestyle, you need to think if you're adding strength, you're adding the weight room specifically, it's important to take a little time with yourself and remind yourself like results look so different in that environment too. Um, so I came to the table quite strong when I started my running career because I was a power lifter in high school and a rugby player in college. And I kept the, the lifting through rugby because that's just kind of obvious. I got to give hits and take hits. And so when I started off as a runner and now priority one is can my body move through 26 miles comfortably and then actually run pretty fast through 26 miles that became goal one. And so your physiology changes a little bit. And so now when you start adding in weights, you can't keep the old definitions and old results. Like, honestly, the number one result you get from the strength training as a distance runner is never going to be seen. And that's because it's the absence of injury. You're actually adding in this strength so you can handle those big weekly miles. And so maybe the fact that you're not injured maybe your only result you get from the strength training. And so you're measuring the absence of something instead of the presence of something. And I don't know if that's making yeah. sense or sinking in, but it's like, that's true. it's easy to just walk blindly into it as like an athlete. And you're like, yeah, I played rugby and I used to lift and I was, you know, I'm just an athlete. And so now I'm running and now I want to run 60 mile weeks and look like Nick bear. And it's like, I don't know that dude's story. I can't comment there on like, what he does, but he's looks like a sort of bigger, beefier dude, and he can run marathons. Great. Generally speaking, though, as you increase the cardio and you increase the mileage and you put in over 2,000 miles a year, stacking on huge mass, that's like just physiology would teach you that those two things like don't go hand in hand. There, it's just like if you want to bulk up in the weight room, that's a di a completely different prioritization and um, ranking system for what you define as an A goal and how you're proud of yourself. And yes, I'm moving towards what I want. If you want to stack mass, you got to look at the world completely differently than do I want to move my body efficiently through 26 miles of space and can I stay durable for 52 weeks in a row and string together 12 solid months. It's just, you can be strong and you can run long and you can run fast. I'm not saying you like, those are all going to be 100 versus zero. I'm just saying you have to like, it, it, it takes some discipline of the mind as an athlete to be able to be like, all right, well, I only maybe improved my squat and my bench by like 10% this year, but I shaved 15 minutes off my marathon. That was priority one. And therefore, this year is a success. Um, rather than if you wanted to be able to like bench 50 pounds more, or squat 50 pounds more, you know, it's just a, you just have to remind yourself that like there has to be a priority one and then yeah. understand what your strength is doing for you. Yeah, those are all great points. It's funny, my trainer asked me at one point, 
Like, do you ever, do you want to do any max testing in the different <laughs> movements? What would you say? And I said, no, I, I don't actually care. And, and he thought that that might be true because he he's very much built a program that is focused on the running, right? We are doing everything we're doing points back to things I need to accomplish my goals in the sport of running. So it's very specific strength training. There is no vanity, you know, involved in what I'm doing with it. And he's like, do you even care about your max? I'm like, I don't even, I don't care about like, why would I, I, and I just said, unless you think there's a specific reason to know that would point us, you know, that would inform the process, then I don't, I don't care. There's no point in wasting time on that because the numbers don't actually matter to me. It's how it all translates to results on the roads. So that's kind of a corollary to the point you made. The other thing I would say in terms of the patience with the process is that as I was adding in, you know, more weight to the equation, one of the things that we discovered as a part of the process is that my mobility in a few areas, particularly ankle mobility, which has always been a challenge, which inhibits potentially my squat form and depth and also my hamstring flexibility inhibits some of the ability I have to hinge and deadlift appropriately. And so we've been very slowly working mobility so that I can then have the right form on the key movements with lifting, squatting, deadlifting, things like that, so that I can do it not only in a healthy way, but then also load weight in a way that will make sense. So we've been patiently building mobility while very gradually building the weight component. And if you look to the weights I was lifting at this point, even after six months, you would probably be very unimpressed if anybody was looking at it from outside in. But it's been all about staying healthy, loading only in only when I can do it safely in a range of motion that's appropriate. And so we've gone back to the basis of kind of rebuilding my mobility as a part of building the strength element too, which has taken more time than any of us probably could, either of us could have probably forecasted when we started. But here I am, you know, 43 year old body who's moved in a certain way for a long time and we're starting to break some of those patterns and it takes time. And so you just have to make sure you give yourself space for that. doesn't mean that it'll be that slow for you. Everybody's going to have a different path. It just means that you can't rush it, can't skip steps, kind of going back to that patience point, because unless I had the mobility to add the weight and then unless I could then add weight gradually to stay, to keep from hurting myself along the way, then I wouldn't be where I am now in the process. And now I feel like we're, at that place where we can start to do quote bigger things because we've been patient for these six months. So anyway, that's, that's been a lesson of this year. Strength like, take time. I like that. I hope if anyone adds the weight room in January and is not seeing results in February and is thinking about quitting, they play those last three minutes. Cause that's nuanced. You were able to like, you, you could tell you thought about it and then you, you gave yourself some specifics that you can measure. Like, you can, like, you got your mobility, like you, you boiled it down to some specifics, but yeah, anyone stumbling into the weight room and hoping in a couple months, they look like Thor or the rock. It's like, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. And believe me, I'll never look like Thor the Rock. And I don't I don't aim to. I just want to run 240 in the marathon. All right, that's number three. Strength takes time. Number four. This one again, more tactical. And this will probably be a little bit controversial because I know anytime you talk about this topic, it can be that way. And there will be smart people on all sides of the debate. So I'm not going to talk about it from a from a standpoint of necessarily being an expert, but just sharing my experience and my lesson, which is that I learned that personally, I need to be supplementing with nutri- nutrition and from a nutrition standpoint in ways that I haven't needed in the past for whatever reason, and that I feel is helping me as I step into this space this year of working different things. I'm supplementing my food intake with nutritional supplements in ways that I never have this year. And I got to this point, you know, by basically hitting kind of rock bottom from a micronutrient standpoint at the end of last year. And here we are supplementing using, you know, Athletic Greens as a as a essentially a multivitamin on steroids. I'm supplementing with vitamin D. I'm supplementing with other things because it's helping me get what I need to perform. And <clears throat> I'm someone who historically has thought, you know, as long as I'm eating pretty well in a balanced way, getting micronutrients through my food, then you know, that's probably good enough. And I have a time supplemented from an interventional standpoint. Oh, I need, you know, getting sick. I'm going to take vitamin C for this window of time. And then you get away from it. And then, you know, something else happens and you supplement for a little bit and you get away from it. But now I'm doing it in a systematic daily way, routine sort of way that I feel is helping me do all the things that I want to do. And I don't know if that's, I, you know, I don't know what that's a product of. Maybe it's a product partially of age, circumstance. I don't know. I just know that last year I got into a place where I was deficient in a lot of categories and working with a nutritionist that I trust, Carly at Nutritional Wisdom here in Austin. She helped me layer in supplementation in a way I'd already been supplementing vitamin D and some other things, but she helped me layer in supplementation in a way that is more robust than I've ever, than I've ever had. And I feel like it's helping me and still trying to eat as well as I can. You know, I'm, I'm not, I don't have a terrible diet, but as somebody who's pushing the limits on myself, it seems that at least for me, experience of one, that that supplementation is helping me get the micronutrients I need to do everything I want to do in this life. And it's hard for me to get it with just food. So now there will be a lot of opinions on that and people have good reasons and justifications on all sides of that debate. But that's just something for me that I've learned this year that's been an important part of doing what I want to do. And getting my micronutrient levels where they need to be. Yeah, there might be a lot of opinions 
more so just because it's so nuanced. Like it, it, this one's a tough one. Nutrition in general is a tough one because there's so many, at this point, there's data and science to back up like every kind of diet. So even if you're thinking, I want to be a data-driven person and I, I don't want to just make emotional decisions. I want to make a decision that's backed by science. Well, guess what? There's science to back vegan diets. There's science to back freaking the complete opposite, the carnivore diet. Like literally staying away from as many breads and carbs as you possibly can. And even putting, if you follow Paul Saladino, who I actually subscribe to this school of thought, but it's like there's a, a toxicity spectrum among vegetables. So even some vegetables uh, being called not that great for you by medical doctors loaded with science. I'm not trying to create the controversy. <laughs> I'm actually trying to... Uh, provide empathy here by helping everyone understand there's so like literally people are often defending their dietary intake based on science. And so now it's sort of like, well, what science do I follow, et cetera. So what I, what I would like to do is, oh, and I'll also say like, I take element every single day, element TP because it's sodium, magnesium, and potassium. And then I take vitamin D. But you know, when I get into like uh, more intense training and efforts and things aren't going so well. Like I, I just tend to sort of like get down on myself and be like, Oh, I'm not working hard enough. I just need to man up. So what, how, how did you identify you were nutrient deficient in some yeah. category? Maybe. Like what are some of the mechanics of how to like put that on the right track? Yeah. And I think the, the key emphasis here is that we're all this is a very individualized topic. I think that's the challenge with the science is that, you know, we're all data points of one on this and how one person responds to any nutritional or dietary stimulus is going to be different from somebody else. I think that's part of the reason why you can validate a lot of this stuff in different ways through science, just because we all have unique experiences. But but I encourage people to be on their own journey and to just be open-minded here. But for me, it really started, I mean, if I go back to the very beginning, back to 2016, I had a stress fracture in my heel, which surprised my medical team, <laughs> my, my chiropractor, my orthopedist, you know, in training for Boston that year and the stress fracture manifested in the race. I'd seen them, I'd worked with them, I'd done all the right things. And then I ended up with a stress fracture anyway. At that time, the realization was, wait, something, something else must be going on that we're just not seeing. So you should go get your vitamin D checked, which affects calcium absorption, which can lead to bones being more, vulnerable to these types of injuries. Turns out I was vitamin D deficient. Through that process also learned that I had, because I'd done the 23andMe test where you can then put it into another database. I learned that I was, I had a mutation related to absorption of vitamin D. So it wasn't just that I wasn't getting enough. It's just that my body wasn't absorbing it. So, so then at that time, I started supplementing vitamin D with a higher dose than would typically be pres prescribed because of my genetic mutation. And that, you know, helped me heal from that injury. And then, you know, I haven't had any bone issues since. So that kind of began the journey. 
And then as a part of that, started looking at other things. And after last year in Boston, where I did the fall Boston in 2021, sort of had inexplicable fatigue in that race that didn't really make sense to me late in that race. Had a good training cycle, executed a good race, got to mile 16 or so of that race, and the body just powered down in a way that didn't make sense given all the variables. And so I ended up after that race getting a micronutrient test Again, working with Carly, who is here in town. And it came back that I was deficient in a whole bunch of things. Copper, selenium, particularly the metals, copper, selenium, zinc. And some of that may have been a combination of having COVID over the summer and that putting stress on the body and then continuing with marathon training after that. But I was in a hole that was affecting me because all of those things affect basically muscular performance. So what I was feeling at Boston wasn't mental, wasn't a training thing, wasn't conditions because it was pretty nice conditions that day. It was that my body didn't have the raw materials to perform. And so that's when, you know, working with Carly again, we started to say, hey, we need to actually be doing more to supplement your body, supplement what you're getting from a diet perspective. And so I started doing that and then retested my micronutrients in August of this year and everything came out, you know, back to normal, looking good. I've definitely felt stronger throughout the year from just a it's hard to say because I haven't had, again, I haven't been trying to achieve high NPRs or anything, but, you know, just feeling capable of the training, capable of the rigors of the work that I'm doing and not feeling run down. All of that's been good. So it, that's been a part of the process. And, you know, through that, I found athletic greens and I've been taking that daily because it's a, you know, it's a multivitamin. It's got pre-probiotics, got a whole bunch of things that help me feel good and keep me out of that deficient space. So that's been my journey to get there. But I do think when people are in that place where, you know, they're not feeling good, they're feeling run down, their performances aren't where they thought for whatever reason, if you look at your training, if you look at, you know, am I doing my easy runs easy enough? Am I sleeping well? You know, how, how is my general life stress? Is that affecting how I'm feeling? And you get through all those kind of first order questions and you think, I don't, I don't, I still don't know what's going on. I don't have answers. Then I highly encourage getting some blood work done to see if there's any underlying answers. And that might lead you down a path like this. So that was my journey. Yeah, I like it. It sounds like if, if you can get a nutritionist, but if you can't at least do the, the lab work, the blood work, so you can have some insight. Yep. So this is where appropriately I take a break to talk about my sponsor, Athletic Greens. As I mentioned, I do take them daily as my multivitamin, but again, they provide so much more. It's a probiotic, it's a prebiotic, there's a superfood complex involved to make sure you're getting everything you need from a nutrition standpoint. There's also adaptogens which help aid in recovery and managing life stress something I take every morning after my workout, typically before I eat breakfast. It's a way that I kickstart my day and make sure that I getting, I'm getting exactly what I need to feel good and perform the way I want to perform as I've been talking about. 
It also helps support better sleep quality, which helps aid in recovery, obviously. It supports mental clarity and alertness, if that's something you've been struggling with. And it's very lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, whatever you might need. It can accommodate those situations, plus costs less than $3 a day. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash running rogue. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash running rogue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. It works for me. It'll work for you. Go check it out. All right, let's get to number five. Number five, this again gets to a more tactical lesson. This one really from the coaching side of things. But, and it kind of relates to my first point about getting back to the basics. But one of the things that I've really learned a lot about this year, a lot of it in working with this high rocks athlete, but also in some other athletes who have the underlying data that they need to do this, but really learning to apply heart rate to training concepts, heart rate based, heart rate based training to training concepts. I've been doing this year in a more robust way than I ever had and I ever have largely because of the athletes that I've been working with and the data that they've had. And again, this is all something intellectually that I've known how to do for a long time and can kind of always speak to, but I've been applying it this year in ways that I've never done. And it's been fun to write training blocks or, or weeks of training that with workouts that just have heart rate based zone type training where I'm not even talking about paces at all. I'm just talking about heart rates. Now, again, you have to have the right data for an athlete to know what their zones are to do that. But I do think, and this is something I'd actually like to do a whole podcast episode on that. There's something in here for the everyday athlete even if you don't necessarily know your zones, I think people need to make sure that they're at least heart rate aware and start to collect some of that data and draw some conclusions in their own mind about heart rate. And we can apply rules of thumb, you know, maffetone heart rate, 180 minus your age, right? I mean, that's a a number that really represents an estimate for the top end of zone two for most people. That if you go above that number, then you're starting to to do something different than work aerobic capacity. So, you know, having awareness of that, starting to look at your data. And again, risk-based heart rate, if you don't have a chest strap, isn't as accurate from an absolute perspective, but it is, is typically accurate from a relative perspective. So you can start to get some information and tune into it. But the point is that, you know, there's pace, there's effort perception, and then there's heart rate in terms of the three primary ways that we measure whether or not you're in the right space to achieve a result on a given day. And so it's been fun to learn about that more in a more rigorous way, right? Training 
specifically dedicated to heart rates. Again, with the caveat being that you know your zones and help athletes navigate that in a more specific way this year. So that's number five. Yeah, that's a good one. I try to remind athletes of that too, because at, at the very least, so we, we both know another caveat to add is that like, um, um, wrist heart rate monitors aren't perfect by any means, but they're directional. They're still a, somewhat of a guide and you can at least take away from this, like based on that math piece, uh, Phil Maffetone, the math piece, um, um, 180 minus your age. Well, you know that if on your recovery runs you're at 170, you can on your your watch, you can at least rest assured your watch isn't that broken and you need the uh SF STFD, right? Slow the <laughs> F down. Because um that's often the case. Like we don't really deal with a lot of athletes that show up to the table who are who you're like, man, you know, you just ran all your easy runs too easy, and that's why you didn't get your goal. In in 13 years of being with Rogue and 11 years coaching, I've never once had that conversation, whether it was me to athlete or a coach to me as athlete. Um, it's usually the opposite. So at the very least, guys, you can you can check that that uh, watch, and because now it's almost like every Garmin seems to have heart rate. And some I'm looking at mine; it's 81 right now. This podcast must have must have my heart rate up, Chris. Um, no, but where I'm going with that, it's like you, our watches. Like we we've got data there, and even if they're not perfect, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, it's like you've got something that's directional. If you know you're well above that, at the very least, you can slow down and get back in that zone. Yeah, I had a, I had a runner on Wednesday in my group. I had gotten back from the cool down. And he came in and he's like, man, I was coming back from the workout and I looked at my, my heart rate and it was like 160 on the cool down. He's like, I was like, he's like, he's like, I realized I was going too fast on the cool down. I needed to slow down. So I walked for a minute, got it under control and then kept going at an easier effort and cruised back in. I was like, I'm like, ding, 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 (laughs) like winner, winner. Like that's the exact right thing to do. Because even in that situation, let's say for a moment that that number was wrong at 160, you know, that it was getting an inaccurate reading, it still didn't hurt him to take a beat, reset, and then get that heart rate back in a good place, knowing what he knows about what his output should be and on a cooldown. And so that was a perfect application from my perspective of using that data, even though he's someone who doesn't necessarily know his specific heart rate zones. He looked at it, saw an anomaly reacted to that adjustment, you know, made an adjustment and ended up in a better spot. And so, you know, do that a little bit more, start to just pay attention when you're running certain paces, when you're running certain efforts, what is that number? And if you're getting something haywire, you know, it could be wrong, you know, validate that first. And you can always check it by manually counting, put your Put your fingers on your your the artery in your neck, the carotid artery, and count, you know, for 15 seconds how many heartbeats you have. So you can actually test it at any point on your own to see if the data on your watch is accurate. And if it's haywire, it's haywire. Don't use it. But you know, start to notice some trends and use that to along with pace, along with perceived effort, to triangulate around. Am I in the right space? 
as I make my training progress. So that's number five. And, and again, it's been fun and I've actually enjoyed it at times doing, doing just heart rate based training, not doing, sorry, giving, giving that via as a coach. All right. Number six here. And I think you'll be able to relate to this one personally as well, James, is that and this is something that this is a term I use all the time. And so it might not surprise people when I talk about this, but there are seasons of life and you have to adapt and adjust to those seasons. And I've talked about this on our podcast, our podcast training group podcast, but this year, in addition to getting back to the basics from a running perspective, I feel like I'm in a season of life that has put stress on me in a different way than I expected and that I've had to adapt to. And not anything crazy, like I haven't had anything crazy happen, but we're just in a season of parenting with a teenager, kid who's turning 14, eighth grader, and we've got eighth grade, sixth grade, fourth grade, three different schools, all playing soccer, you know, oldest is on a soccer travel team and that's created more weekend travel for us this year. There's just been a lot going on with the kids, all fun, all good. Some of it challenging, learning to parent a teenager, but it has put stress on my training in a way that I didn't anticipate and in a way that I've had to proactively adjust to where sometimes I've had to opt for lesser or different in order to make sure that I can show up for my kid here or, you know, make sure I'm not overdoing it as the life stress has put pressure on my body. So that's life. That's the reality. We all are going to have those seasons and it's going to look different for everybody and they come and they go and they ebb and they flow. And it's okay if that has a ripple effect on your training. In fact, you need it to have a ripple effect on your training because the worst thing you can do is power through those challenging life seasons and therefore dig a hole for yourself from a, from a physical standpoint. So it's okay to, to ebb in the flow with seasons of life. And by the way, that might also mean that sometimes you're able to have big goals in your running and sometimes you're able to just get it done and follow some basic routine without having a race on the calendar and all, or even take a step back from running altogether. And that's all okay. There are those seasons. There's always another season though. And you just got to roll with those punches as they come. So that's number six. This is a good one and I can relate. And I would say the first thing to do is figure out what season you're in. And this really preaches, I think, to our veteran runners, like, you know, when you're starting something new, it's so exciting. And that's almost shaping and defining that season that you're in. But once you've been around the block a few times and you've been in it, it's like nobody, nobody likes coming off the top. Like if you're kind of typically a pack leader in your group with pace or a pack leader group with your mileage or a, a pack leader in your group, uh, for the number of like minutes or hours spent each week. Cause maybe you're on the slower or less fast end of the spectrum. Um, but you're willing to put in those eight to 10 hours a week. It's like, okay, like nobody likes to back off of that, but it's really important to slow down and take inventory and figure out what season am I in. And then the thing I like to at least whisper to myself is James be reasonable. 
And I feel like I can say that to most adults. Yes, you might need a coach or a friend to kind of help you soundboard and sift through things, but ultimately you have the power inside of you and the thinking brain, the judicious mind to be reasonable. And if there are other factors in your life that become priority one, priority two, et cetera, and that means you might get a B minus on your report card this year compared to where you were last year, you need to quickly take inventory of that so that you can shape your expectations and shape your standards that you hold yourself accountable to specifically in this one aspect of your life that is your running. And knowing that it has a beginning and an end, you know, it's like, hey, this season might go by and you might see some people PR in the marathon and you had to make your goal this year a finishing time instead of a PR, et cetera. Um, if you can take that time to gather yourself, I mean, a, a perfect example for me actually is 2022, where I started the year um, like really excited and I made a really lot of good moves that I'm actually like, I don't regret anything I did in the first quarter, but I almost made this analogy earlier when you were talking about, uh, being, uh, patient. Um, I wanted to compare it to finances. And I think the financial piece actually is a greater metaphor here. So talk about a different season financially in 2022, any adult with a little bit of knowledge of what's going on. Like you're thankful if your uh, retirement only dropped by 18% this year. But a lot of us are at 20% plus in a drop. It's just like the stock market got hit and it did not look like that in Q1. We thought 2022 was just gonna keep going up and to the right. And then all of a sudden, boom, Q1 earnings come out. April is just really gross. And from April to date, the, top, the, the stock market has simply been tanking. A rookie move would be to freak out and try to pull all your money out before you lose more, et cetera. But the wise principle to patient um, perspective would be to say, hold on, deep breath. I'm in a season where the market's going down. It's, it's, a, it's a bear market, like fine. Like I'm not gonna freak out, I'm gonna wait. I'm going to recognize the season that I'm in. I'm going to stay true to those same principles, like you said, in point one. And I'm going to remain patient, like you said, in point two. Um, so I like that one. I just wanted to draw an analogy in case it helps it drive home. But like the same is true in running. When, when, when like 75% of your best is all you have to give for three, four months, then give that 75%, which now is this season's 100%. And grade yourself according to that. Yeah. Give yourself grace. Which that that statement's a good segue into my number seven, which is very related to this number six. And it's something that I always preach, I always talk about. I've had to live probably this mantra this year more than ever in my running journey, or at least more than I have in the last 10 years, which is that. Something is always better than nothing. <laughs> Something is always better than nothing in your training. It's so easy to look at the calendar and think I've got X on the calendar. I know I can't do that. I don't have the time or energy or whatever it may be. So I'm just not going to do anything at all. It's easy to have that binary mentality. But instead, if you can just get out and do something, Sometimes that leads to more than you think, but no matter what, 
it gets you to check a box that allows you to maintain a routine and consistently it gives you some stimulus that is so vastly better than nothing, regardless of what level that something is, that it's almost immeasurable, the difference. And so I've had to live that in spades this year with some things, for example, especially for me with weekends, you know, we've been traveling a lot with weekends for soccer games, going to Houston, San Antonio, Dallas, Tulsa, Oklahoma city, and, or just having early games where it's like, I got to get my son to an 8am soccer game. And yeah, I would love to run 14 miles or 16 miles, you know, on a Saturday morning, like I normally would, but instead I'm going to show up at five 30 and get in 10 and then rush to get showered and get to a game. And yeah, wanted more, but did what I could. And I've had to do that a whole lot this year. But it's been so important for me, not only mentally to feel accomplished, but also obviously from a physical standpoint to stay connected to that aerobic foundation I'm trying to stay a to stay a part of because when you can maintain that routine, when you can get in some stimulus, it allows you to sustain fitness versus if you start going long stretches with nothing, you know, as we all know, we lose it so fast, but getting that minimum stimulus allows you to hang on to it so that when you can then add more time, when you can do more, it's there for you. So that's encouragement for everybody who may be facing tough schedules, challenging life situation, tougher season of life, a bad day, whatever it may be, just get in something because it is so much better than nothing. Yeah. I want to put a big amen on that. And I used to remind myself of that on medium long run days when, you know, when I first started training in my first year of running, I, I was just like glad to get in X amount of days per week. Um, but as I became more seasoned and medium long runs would grow and I would see in a Texas summer um, that I had 12 miles on a Monday. I mean, who wants to do 12 miles on a Monday? And some people do even more for their medium long runs, but that used to eat at me. And I remember um, if the day got busy and I had things going on, it was like, oh man, I've only got 90 minutes. And so why even, I'm just not going to be able to get that done. And so I would just throw it out the window. And I was like, no, 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 no. If all I've got is 90 minutes, well, then that's still a medium long run. Go get what I can. Um, And you brought up that whole mental benefit. It's kind of like what you were saying, if you were nutrient deficient and it becomes a domino effect, because then you don't recover because you don't have the right things in you. Um, In this same way, it's like when you skip the run, you take that zero day, then you might wake up a little mad at yourself and you're trying to force something. It's, it, it can implode kind of quickly, but just getting out there, getting your body moving, getting that little bit of endorphin relief, being honest with yourself, like, Hey, I know I was supposed to get in 10, but, but like all I had time for was five. Um, and especially if it's because of external things, like you mentioned all the travel and everything, you have that opportunity to actually feel like a little bit of a winner. Like, man, despite how busy my day was, I went and found time to do something. You start to encourage yourself. Like I'm that kind of person that, that, that finds the window, finds the pocket, owns the discipline, gets in what he can or what she can. Um, that's a good way to get pumped on, up on yourself and you should get pumped up on yourself. I love quoting the Avid brothers who said, I want to have pride like my mama had, not like the kind in the Bible that makes you bad. Pride's a good thing, guys. Like if it's not the kind that makes you bad where you think you're better than people, but the kind that you're like, man, like 
I really do strive for as much as I can. Like when, when there's little windows, I take them and I focus on whatever goals in front of me. You should feel that kind of pride. Like that's not the opposite of humility. Like that's actually is humility to be able to accept who you are, accept the fact that you're having a human experience and life gets busy and life's not a spreadsheet and it's not clean cut, dry and perfect. But despite all life's crazy curveballs, you find a way to keep fighting. That's beautiful. Feel proud about that. Take that mental win. Yeah, I think I talked about it in the episode of reframing success is that when you make those adjustments, and again, sometimes it's because you have to, but sometimes it's because, hey, I just didn't feel great today. I need to back off because that's what my body's telling me. That's a win. You know, we in mentally in our head, we want to put it down as a loss because we're all high achieving people that have probably too high a standards for ourselves. So we put it down mentally as an L when we have to cut, <clears throat> when we have to cut a run or adjust a speed workout for whatever reason, when really that's a victory because you made the appropriate adjustment so that you could then live to fight another day and not, not bury yourself. So I like that idea of reframing success and being proud of yourself when you get it in or adjust appropriately given whatever you might face. So keep that in mind in 2023. Something's always better than nothing. All right. These last two, I think put a, put a nice bow on both this episode and then also how I think about the podcast. But number eight, it's a bit, this is a bit of advice I've been giving a lot this year as a coach that I think I just wanted to emphasize here because I think there's a lot of people that need to hear it regardless of where you may be, whether it's chasing a goal, a big goal like I am, whether going through a season of injury, whether maybe you're in a season of life where running hasn't been top priority. Number eight is don't ever stop dreaming. And then focus on what you need to do today to take that next step towards that dream. It's this idea that you have to have dual mentality. Like dream big. Don't ever stop dreaming. Always give yourself space and time to think about what you want in this sport, regardless of the timeline. And then, once you've captured that in your mind, get back to the now, the very present, and say, all right, what do I need to accomplish? Because by the way, if you get stuck in the dream world, it can be overwhelming. That can seem too far away. But then you got to get really free grounded in the present and say, okay, what do I need to do today to take that next logical step towards that goal? What's today's task look like? What does today's training look like? And it may look like a workout, a run, a recovery run, a strength workout, maybe a nap, you know, some, some space for recovery, whatever it may be, what's that next logical step? And then keep stringing together those and then give yourself the time again at some point to go back to the dream. So you got to live both in this, this place of knowing what you want keeping those dreams alive because that's where you get your excitement, your passion, your motivation, while then also not letting that overwhelm you 
by staying grounded in the very present tasks. And I feel like that advice is true, whether you're me trying to chase a, you know, PR that I've, or a time I've never run in my life after training for 22 years or somebody who's coming back from injury and needs to stay motivated. And it can be hard to stay motivated in that daily grind when you're making your incremental gains that feel so small, you know, to that person who maybe can't run as much as they want right now because they're in a season of life, but knows that that goal is out there somewhere. And if they just keep putting, you know, their routine together with small runs every week, it'll keep them connected to this activity and this process so that when they can give more time to it, they'll be able to take those gains or go, go get those gains again. So I feel like it can apply in a lot of different situations, but that's number eight. I like this one as just a general life reminder and mantra, like never lose hope, never give up on the goals. Cause it's, it's, we all know that reaching the mountaintop is not the point of life. Like the very, like after you reach the summit, the very next thing you do is you crawl back down, but it's the fact that you have mountains in front of you that make life what it is. Um, there's a quote, uh, I think by like Kurt Vonnegut, um, I tried to Google it real quick, but just the opening lines are be soft. Do not let the world make you hard. I don't know why, but that one liner has always just stuck with me. Um, where it's like, no matter the adversity you go through, like the easy out is to say, to quit or to say that it's not for me or to become hard and cynical and not be open to life's experiences, no matter the facet of life we're talking about, whether it's an art pursuit or a romantic pursuit or a physical training pursuit, um, it's a career pursuit. It's easy to just be like, I'm just tired of not getting it. And so if I just stop wanting it, then at least I remove the pain of the wanting. And it's easy to go there. That actually is a fairly logical, it's it's actually the default outplay. Like if that's typically what will happen and no one will judge you for your brain going there. This is a whisper of encouragement. It's a gentle, kind, loving whisper from coaches that say, I know it sucks because you're not getting what you want, but don't let the world make you hard or don't throw in the towel. Like don't quit on it. The, the episode from Ted Lasso, there's one in season one that's called, it's the hope that kills. It's like that that's the whole point of the title, but also the point of the, the show itself. It's like the title is said, it's the hope that kills because it's like, gosh, every time I hope if I don't get what I want then it's going to kill me. So it'd be easy to be like, well, then don't hope. <laughs> but this is just my like, this is like just my, when you said that, I'm like, my loving side just wants to be like, never give up hope, guys. Like just, <laughs> I know, I, I know it's painful. Hope invites pain. They're, they're like connected, but don't lose hope. Like don't, don't ever quit. Like that is one of my number one whispers to myself, like through my journal or even sometimes on a run when I'm like, post-surgery, I should be back. I should have already run a marathon already. And when I'm out there hurting on a three-miler, it's easy for my brain uh, to be like, dude, you're a pathetic waste of talent. You're a has-been. And it's like, no, I'm just not going to go there. I just gently remind myself, I'm not going to quit on you. I'm not going to ever quit on you. I'm going to keep the hope. 
even though I'm a long way from where I've been and where I want to be. I, I think that the moment we do that in life in general, I read Happiness Advantage over uh, the Thanksgiving break, which it's a book on psychology, um, a PhD from Harvard. So it's like, I don't have to back this up. This is his stuff. Um, but there's a there's a experiment where they had these 75-year-old guys who they were told to think about life at 55 and to dress in the clothes, the kind of clothes that they wore. They were going to build a social setting and participate in an activity where it's like for a week, they were in this like kind of encampment space or controlled space where they basically relived out their 55-year-old experiences and the impact on their overall health and well-being, both medically as well as psychologically, was pretty impressive. Like I, I don't have the book in front of me. I read it like a month ago, but um, I just kept chewing on that. And the whole point was sort of like, I think like life ends the moment we stop believing in anything ahead of us. Like you can deteriorate fast if you only think, well, my best days are behind me. Or we can deteriorate in our career of like, I'll never make a next step. So I might as well embrace this stupid, I freaking hate it, quite quitting concept. It's just like, uh, I'm preaching now and going on a rant, but I just <laughs> want to emphasize, I just wanted to respond with yeah. actual energy of like, this one I love. Yeah. Yeah. Don't stop dreaming. Don't stop hoping. But when it becomes a burden, get grounded in. What do I need to do right now? All right. That's number eight. Number nine. It was just a general reflection. I think you'll be able to relate to this as a fellow, as a fellow coach. In many ways, I feel like number nine is just simply that I'm the luckiest running coach in the world because I get to work with some really, really cool athletes. And one of the things, and I think one of the reasons why that is because my orientation as a coach is somebody who I don't really care about pace or time or where you're coming from or really even what your goal is. If you have a goal that you care about and if you want something, then I'm all in with you, regardless of your degree of fast, regardless of how the world might judge that goal. And so it's led me to be able to work with some really, really cool athletes directly and then have influence over athletes all over the place that it just makes me really proud to be a part of it. And it's really inspiring and fulfilling as a coach and as an athlete, but just here's a, here's a little smattering of what I've gotten to work with this year, gotten to work with Sharon, 70 year old athlete who got a, who her, her, her goal was to get on the podium at a world major, was able to do that, getting a second in her age group at Chicago. Pretty damn cool. Got to work with an athlete and Alex with the podcast training group who had a 94 minute improvement in the marathon. 521 to 347. We were talking about him this morning, but to show up, start doing the type of training we offer and to see that kind of progress. Results not necessarily typical, but really cool to be a part of that journey with him. And as we were talking this morning, that may be that may be the single biggest improvement from one marathon to the next that I've ever worked with and that many would know about. You know, getting to work with athletes like Claire, who came back from a stress fracture to do a to, a, to do another half marathon and 
that overcame a lot of physical challenges to do that and to get back to training consistently and do it patiently and, and not be worried about time, but just be worried about, Hey, can I get this done? I mean, that's just so cool to be a part of that work with a woman, Kathleen, who ran her first marathon in New York, five hours and 44 minutes on one of the toughest days in New York history with all of the heat, absolutely crushed her race, ran a perfectly executed race, but she's a mom who had kids starting seven years ago who just wanted a goal for herself and was able to put together her first marathon and really reclaim some of her own performance identity as a part of that process. Really cool to be a part of that. Got to be a part of working with Stuart, who I've already mentioned, podium in the age group at this crazy sport of high rocks that I just honestly was introduced to this year, helping him become a better runner as somebody who came from a strength background. I've gotten to work with athletes who've gotten their first Boston qualifiers including one shout out to Wendy who qualified for Boston for the first time entering her second trimester while pregnant at Chicago. Whole lot of, you know, stories and caveats behind that in terms of, you know, results not typical. Don't try this at home, but under the care of a coach, it can be okay. Unbelievable result. Tons of Boston qualifiers, time Boston qualifiers, other first time marathoners like James you know, I coach here in Austin who did his first marathon in Indy and 20 mile an hour plus headwinds over the second half and just absolutely crushed his race. So just such a spectrum of runners that I get to work with, not to mention those I get to touch through this platform that I don't even know. And it just makes me reflect on how lucky I am to be a part of it and how cool it is to be a part of these goal journeys and to see people accomplish things that they were dreaming about. So that's number nine. I love that. And I share the sentiment, except you're slightly wrong because I'm the luckiest, but you're the <laughs> second luckiest coach. Um, and I'm not just being cheesy. Um, I get to coach the Renegades with you. And so their stories are quite inspiring. And we've gotten to know them on a personal level uh, when they come on and share. Um, and then also my evening edition crew. Um, I love Wendy too. So like you have to do the hard work of coaching and I didn't get to just be her friend and I've got to coach her husband, John. So it's like, um, the degree to which these people have impacted my life is both immeasurable and I could never say enough, but I'm quite grateful. I, um, with a lot of my athletes, I'll coach on Wednesday night. The, these are in-person athletes. I also have this Friday morning jogging dip. And that has nothing to do. I always tell them like my coach on coaching hat isn't on here. I'm just one of the people in that mix, but I love that experience so much. Like starting a Friday morning, just jogging around town Lake, we dip in Barton Springs and we talk about life. We hear about people's like kids now, like more and more people are having kids. We hear about their holidays. We hear about their plans for the weekend. It's just, there's a connection that provides you a space where you're like, my life's meaningful and I know who I'm connected to. And so this morning I put the song and uh, it's said Sandman by Ed Sheeran as the 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 background to it and it's this main quote of and loving you is easy but life will not always be and then the next two lines are fall into the world of your song whatever you feel whatever you feel can uh, never be wrong I was chewing on that because that one line of but life will not always be I actually think as a coach like having you you and I have both coached long enough that it's like we have seen people come and go you know not not everyone's here to be in our group forever 
sometimes people take a job and they move out of town. Um, they need to mix it up and try out a new coach. Like it doesn't matter the reason, but it's like, um, I don't ever want to forget to sort of cherish the season that I'm in the athletes that are there in that season. Cause there will be changes. Dynamics have changed so many times, both through rogue as a huge community, as well as the microcosm that is my little team on Wednesday nights. Um, and loving them is easy. There really is, but life will not always be. And I don't know who the faces will be. There will always be, you know, some core staple people that make the team what it is, but like, there may be other people in five years. Um, I just had a brand new guy join who sat down and told me about a near-death experience he had last year and a relationship that was lost and a career change he made. And I didn't even have to ask him, why is he running? <laughs> After those three admissions, I was like, yeah, I also don't have to remind him to sign up or sell him on joining. I was like, this dude's locked in for a few years. I was like, let's talk about all three of those. But I'm emphasizing that because the coaching, the coaching of legs and the putting of workouts in a spreadsheet is a skill, but to engage in all those other facets of those people's lives brings a richness and meaning to me that like, I can't say thank you enough for. For sure. Yeah. It's fuel. It's fuel for our coaching fires and it's just cool. I think the, you know, the message I'll end with is that, you know, I listed a bunch there all sound really cool. And, you know, they are because those are all things that individually each person wanted. And I think to me, that's the thing that matters is that you, if you have a goal, regardless of what that goal is, well, first of all, I mean, you're worthy of a big goal, regardless of your starting point, regardless of where you can, you come from, you're worthy of a big goal. You're worthy of having people to support you on that path to that big goal. And then once you have it, once you know what you want, once you know what's most important, then that means that it matters. And if you connect to a coach like me who orientates the way I do, then you then have an ally and partner towards that goal that's going to want it just as you do and prioritize it as you would. And that's when you end up with this magical dynamic because it's going to give you the energy and the tools and the resources and the power and the partnership to go achieve it. And so that's what I wish for others is that they can find that, whether they find that in our community or whether they find that elsewhere is find that partner in a coach and in a running team, a community, people around you, partner, whatever it may be, we're going to be as invested in what you want as you are. And that's gasoline for a serious fire to go chase some big dreams. So there you go. But it's my podcast. So I get to be the luckiest coach in 2022 here, James. So we'll wrap it there. I really appreciate you jumping on with me, James, last minute and giving your reactions and made this one a whole lot more fun. And I'll thank you and I'll thank all of our listeners for jumping on and and sharing this journey with me. Happy New Year, everyone. As we enter 2023, go get those goals. If you'd like to learn more about us, go to roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.